so let's jump to Genesis 40 and we'll look at some dreams. It's very long, so bear with it. Pay attention, please. It's 80 verses. I'm pretty sure it'll be half the sermon, but we'll get through it. We'll power through. All right, Genesis 40, verse 1. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker and the, of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, why do you look so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, In my dream I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to them. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. Even here, I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. In the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph said. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and impale your body on a pole, and the birds will eat away your flesh. Pretty straightforward. Now, the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that once again, or so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he impaled the chief baker just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. All right, next chapter. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile, when out of the river there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted, thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy heads, full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. 
In the morning, his mind was troubled, so he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I am reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants, and he imprisoned me and the chief cupbearer in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he had interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was impaled. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought before the dungeon, or brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it is said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give you, God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, In my dream I was standing on the bank of the Nile, and when out of the river there came up seven cows, fat and sleek, and they grazed among the reeds. After them seven other cows came up, scrawny and very ugly and lean. I never seen such ugly cows in all the land of Egypt. The lean, the ugly cows ate up seven fat cows, and they came up first. But even after they ate them, no one could tell what they had done. So they looked just as ugly as before. Then I woke up. In my dream, I saw seven heads of grain, full and good, growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads sprouted, withered and thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven good heads. I told this to the magicians, but none of them could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It is one and the same dream. The seven, the seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterward are seven years, and so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind. There are seven years of famine. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten, and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God, and God will do it soon. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the good, all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of the Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man? one in whom is the Spirit of God. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, 
I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as the second in command. The people shouted before him, make way. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift a hand or foot in all Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zaphnith Paniah, and gave him Asenath, daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentiful. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities. In each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain, like the sand of the seas. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potiphar, priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my troubles, all my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim and said, It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt there was food. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried out to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph and do what he tells you. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt, and all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph, because the famine was severe everywhere. Oh my goodness, we did it. Good job, everyone. Good listening. Let's, uh, I'll pray real quick, just for this passage, and then we'll uh, jump into some points. Dear Lord, I thank you for this time that yeah, we get to gather together and properly investigate your word and uh, yeah, really dive into it, Lord. I pray as we consider Joseph, Pharaoh, and God, these three key figures of the narrative, we uh, yeah, allow the, the examples, the good and the bad, sink into our hearts and that uh, yeah, our mind and uh, I guess our day-to-day is just stay completely focused on you, Lord. I uh, thank you for this time. We love you. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All righty. Genesis 40 to 41. Um, I mean, to start, right, there's an incredibly dramatic change in Joseph's circumstances. He goes from a dungeon to the heights of uh, Egypt, right? I mean, Pharaoh has given him second in command, so there's quite dramatic circumstances. And there's some key ones I thought would be worth our time to yeah, point out and really investigate as to how Joseph responds. And as we look at how Joseph responds, also consider, okay, in a situation like this, how would I respond? So let's look at Joseph in the dungeon first. So if you remember, I mean, Jono preached about it last week, right? He was already a slave to these Egyptians, right? At 17 years old, his family, brothers, got rid of him, sold him into slavery, already a rough patch. Things were looking a little bit brighter, but he made, uh, not he made a mistake. He was... Um, unfairly accused or, you know, falsely accused of 
um, some sexual morality, and now he's in prison, right? So you've gone from your comfortable family life to now in prison. Things are looking a little dire, and uh, I even have it up there as well. The, the narrative tries to hammer that in our mind by the, the stripping of the robes. If you remember previously in the narratives, when Joseph was sold into slavery, he lost his robe, right? When Joseph was with Potiphar's wife, he lost his robe again there as well. It's this, the clothes, if you watch throughout the Bible, have a unique, I guess, uh, opportunity or uh, representation of what's happening with the inner self, right? And what's happening to Joseph? Everything is being stripped from him, right? He's naked, laid bare, no family, no home, away from yeah, what he knows and understands, and in the dungeon, right? And they, I guess, an incredibly unfortunate circumstance down in the gutters of life, right? And what's remarkable then is how he chooses to continue to respond, right? The incredible example of Yes, he's in the dungeons, but what is he still holding on to? God, right? I mean, even with the, the interpretations, right? That's, I mean, there's so many different responses you can have in the gutters, right? One of them probably isn't, let me help this other person, right? Or interpret this dream for him, right? Or, or bring God's word to these people. You, it's easy to I don't know, get lost in the, the self-doubt or the pity or the... The frustration of where you're at, to cry, you know, clearly he has some frustration about it if he's complaining to them, like, I haven't done anything here, which is true, he hasn't done anything, but he's still out there bringing God's word in these interpretations, right? So that in itself is pretty incredible, but I find the, the I don't know, the, mo the, the most striking example here is his continued faith, right? If you remember, when was the last time Joseph interpreted a dream? It was, you know, when he was a boy, and what was his dream? Him in this magnificent, great, high position of authority with his brothers bowing down to him, right? Where, <laughs> where is he now? Like, in the dungeon, right? Has that dream come true at all? Does it look remotely close to the life he's living now? Absolutely not, right? But he still has the confidence with these guys to say, hey, here, this is what your dream means, interpreted by God, right? So that in itself has some kind of implication, right, maybe as a side point, that he's still holding on to that promise that God gave him as a boy, right? Even in the pits of the dungeon, he knows God still has a plan for him, right? He's holding on to it. If he's confidently interpreting their dreams, it shows he's still holding on to his interpretation of his dream, of being in this position where his brothers are bowing down to him at some stage, right? So it shows that incredible faith and reliance on God, right? That this, even in this negative time, and even don't want to foreshadow the amount of time it was, right? That this is 13 years of his life, from 17 to 30, right? We get that in this passage. He was 30 years old when he entered Pharaoh's presence. He's in these incredible negative circumstances, and yet clinging to God's word and still bringing it to people as well, right? And the depths. And as I said at the beginning, considering your life, when things are stripped back, when you're exposed when you're vulnerable when you've lost it all right how do you respond do you respond like this as joseph with that integrity of it? still going to hold on to what i know is good and true and i'm still going to bring god's word right next uh i guess the next circumstance that we get is joseph sorry i haven't died is joseph before pharaoh you might just get anything yeah 
So this is Joseph's grand moment, right? As I said, he's been waiting 13 years. And here he is before Pharaoh. Pharaoh's had these troubling dreams, doesn't really understand them. His other interpreters have failed, right? There's, um, I don't know, you can dive into the, the specifics if you want, but ancient Egyptian culture, even today, right? We like to interpret dreams, and this symbol must mean that within it. But they've all failed, right? They've all failed to help Pharaoh understand what's going on. Maybe it's because they're kissing up to Pharaoh, who really knows? But they haven't given a proper interpretation of the dream. And then here comes Joseph, right? This is, um, I mean, quite, a, as I said, the beginning of a dramatic change within his life. He's gone from sitting in a dungeon to now being washed, cleaned up, clothes now put on to him. It's this walking into this big court, I have the picture up there for you, and he's about to see Pharaoh, right? I mean, the, this man of incredible power, um, I mean, if you looked previously, or we know previously, he has no issues with sentencing people to be impaled on a pole, and another dude back into his, you know, close-knit circle. The, I mean, long and short of it, the point is, this is quite significant, right? This, it's an example of grand power that the people worshiping him, right? That's what this core would have looked like, because they literally think of Pharaoh as a god, right? And if that's going through Joseph's mind as he's entering the court, this man has the opportunity you know, to impale me or to give me life, right? And that's clear within the, I guess, it would be a fear definitely running through my mind within this situation. And I, I was, I was going to ask, I would give anyone like $100 if they could do the, know the photos, how it's going to combine up, but it's too late, you don't get your 100 but <laughs> the, the, you have the court there, and then underneath it is a photo, it's a scene from the office, where uh, one of the accountants within this, uh, yeah, office, has some strong opinions about how corporate is running the whole uh, organization, right? And so he says, oh, if, I, if I just had some time with corporate, I'd give him my mind, I'd tell him what to do, kind of thing. And so there's an opportunity for him. He, they pick him up in this limo, and they're off to this big fancy conference, and this accountant is then presented, he walks into this like massive suite in the hotel, and he's presented with the opportunity to share his genuine opinion with these top officials, right? These men of power, these men who can fire him, right? And he sees that, and he just kind of sits there and kind of just, no, I think you guys are doing great. Thank you so much. You know, we trust your, your hands will take care of it. Thank you. And he kind of cowers and just walks away, right? I think that's a lot of our responses in a situation like this. When you see people like that, and that moment of you know, weakness, or I don't know, that this person could have strong implications as to the rest of my life. There's a strong temptation to cower and to lean back and, oh, no, Pharaoh, your dream actually is uh, all, all rosy. It's really good, actually. Let me tell you, you know, these, those aren't years of famine. Those are years of great wealth and your kingdom will prosper, right? But Joseph doesn't hold back. I mean, even think about his message. He's telling Pharaoh that a foreign god is going to come and destroy his kingdom. I mean, that's a pretty... Uh, bold message to give to a dude who thinks he's a god, right? But Joseph doesn't hold back. He, he gives it to Pharaoh as exactly as the message is, right? He gives him purely God's word and interpretation. 
And you can see that wrestle with here. Sparrow's in a sense, I have it up there, is kind of trying to butter him up, right? Like, oh, this is you, Joseph. And Joseph could easily think, yeah, it is me. This is, you know, I can get out of slavery. This is my moment. And he says it, you, 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 interpreted the dream. I highlighted it for you so you can see, right? That it is you who will do it. But Joseph said, no, it's God, right? God's the one who's going to give this to you. Even in that moment where he can uh, take the credits, be free, right? He still holds on to that faith in God. This is the same man who's in the dungeon telling these guys about God as the man before Pharaoh telling these guys about God, right? Next circumstance we get is Joseph now in this high point of power. Sorry, Jack. Thanks, mate. Joseph at the top, right? I have a picture of golden chariots and the, the hierarchy of the Egyptian pyramids or whatever the social hierarchy would have been, right? Joseph is now right up there with Pharaoh, right? He's, he's living life. It's, it's, you can, in a sense, feel entitled if you're Joseph, right? I've been enslaved for 13 years, and now I'm going to enjoy myself. It's comfortable, right? I've got this golden chariot, people yelling, make way for this dude. I have my family now. Things are, are sorted for him, right? But that, again, doesn't stop him from holding on to the word desperately and not becoming um, complacent within this comfortable lifestyle, right? He still stays, still stays focused. And we see that in how he names his children, first of all, right? That he's still reminding himself and his family and people around him about God. It is God who got me here, and I'm not going to forget that, right? Even within the, the plan, right? He's going, um, he's going and he's collecting the grain as he goes to fulfill, because he knows what's to come. He doesn't hold back or he doesn't become comfortable in it. He knows what is coming and he still reacts and he still goes and he collects and he fulfills God's word. He still holds on to it, even in the moment where you can become comfortable and, yeah, as I said, complacent, right? I mean, and I already kind of pointed at it, and I hope it has been, next slide, that Joseph is the same in the dungeon, in the court with Pharaoh, and in his comfortable home life, right? Joseph is the same everywhere, and it shows incredible integrity, right? He... And I think it says something about Joseph that his mind, the way he views these circumstances is completely focused on God, right? The, the one variable that stays consistent is he knows God is always watching him. And those eyes are never taken off. And he, really, he lives with his life like that in every single, or in every single circumstance. Like I said, right? It's the... It's almost as if God is the focus, right? And everything else is just peripheral to him. It's just, yeah, I'm over here, now I'm over here, still talking about God, right? Still holding on to his promises, still preaching his word. The circumstances don't, don't really mean anything to him. As I said, they're a side point. But I think for a lot of us in our day today, circumstances are the focal and God is the peripheral, right? And so, you know... Your life changes and focuses, and your attention is here, there, and wherever, right? But it's, where is, I mean, God in Joseph's eyes, he's right there in the center. And I think it's an incredible example to him that he doesn't really care where he is, right? He knows that he is there, and he is there to bring God's word. And I think, as I said, one of the ways he really wrestles with that and considers that is he knows who's 
Who's in authority, right? Who has power here? And that's God. Jack, next slide. As we see within this whole narrative, right, there's this, um, I guess, yeah, this contrast between who Pharaoh is and who God is. As I said, people thought that, or Pharaoh himself as well, thought he was God, right? That's what that birthday celebration is that we read about, is that it was actually like a celebration of him becoming the, like Egypt's God. That was what the celebration was all about. So for, these, for this man who considers himself God, and God himself, right, that plays on this contrast, before we jump into the contrast, I just want to note and remind us, I think it's been a while since we've talked about it, but who this book is being written to, right? This is being written to the exiles, the people who have just left Egypt, right? And then it requires a bit of background, but this is Moses writing the book, right? And he's writing it to a people who have just been chased out of Egypt by a man who is ruthlessly trying to hunt them down and commit mass genocide. Right? That is Pharaoh. Pharaoh is trying to kill all the Hebrews at the time this book is being written. And what do we see here is a, um, in this narrative at least, is Pharaoh is um, just a man, right? I mean, he, who is he? He's not a god. He's, he has no control over the situation. It is purely Yahweh who is controlling and working the strings behind everything. I mean, you see that in... I mean, Pharaoh doesn't even understand what's happening in his own mind in some sense, right, with the dreams. He has to rely on a foreigner to come and help him, not even a foreigner, but a foreign prisoner, right, to come and help him and understand as to what's, what's going on. And he's, I mean, it's that constant, as I said, the, oh, what else, he's, I in my notes, but I'm way past my notes. He's also, the... I mean, he thinks he controls people's lives, right? He had the choice to kill or bring back the baker and the, um, the cupbearer, right? But in contrast to God, I mean, God has complete control, not only over individual lives, but the whole nation, right? I mean, that's the, the contrast within this story. And you see that further in how these dreams are interpreted, right? I know there's a lot of reading and a massive verses, and a large quantity of those are contributed towards how specific and unique those dreams are, right? I mean, oddly, oddly specific. And I think it's trying to drill home that point of that this is something God has given, only God can interpret through his chosen man, and to that his, for his ordained plan to come true, right? There is no room to say otherwise within this narrative that this isn't within God's plan. Right, and despite it being, you know, finding great comfort, right, that the, God is the one in control. God, this is God's authority. All these things happening, right? It does. Joseph's circumstances um, don't change, right? Even from, right? I mean, they do change, but in the time of prison, right, for 13 years, I'm sure Joseph was crying out, you know, save me from this, God, save me, like. If you are all-powerful and almighty and you love me, get me out of here. But there's something important about that moment in slavery that God was maybe refining his character, right? And didn't, he didn't remove him from the circumstances completely, but he sat, he said, I mean, it says in the Bible, right, that God was still there. God was still with him, working through the circumstances to refine Joseph, right? Um, I don't have it up there. I forgot to, sorry, but 
I mean, this is a common, common uh, attribute throughout all the Bible or characteristic of God is that he refines those um, with, I guess, through trialing times. I mean, that's if the first Peter ladies know that, that's what they've been reading is that strong, genuine, pure faith comes through suffering, right? Comes through pain. And God is refining that within Joseph. He's helping him see, helping him understand in these dark, negative times. Who are you going to rely on? It's, it has to be me. Otherwise, when you're up in the echelons and the elite class of society, it's you're, that without that perseverance, that refinement of gold, you are easily straying away, moving, you know, doing whatever you want or following your ways or being comfortable in the life you've, or you think you've created, right? And so how does Joseph, I mean, stay I don't know, consistent and continue to have that integrity? But as we've been looking at, he knows who is in control. It is God in the darkness and in the highest moments, right? Regardless, it is God who is there and God who has that authority. And so as we leave here today, I mean, I consider, you know, each point and how do I respond in those moments of being stripped in that deep suffering, right? Am I someone who clings to God and continues to live out His promise and preach His word and do my best to, yeah, bring His kingdom? Or do I wall in my self-pity? Do I, when I'm tested at work or with my friends, am I ashamed of the gospel? Do I unashamedly bring the good news? Or do I cower behind like Oscar Martinez? You know, the... In the high moments of life, where things feel good and comfortable, am I still considering God, or have I forgotten who's actually gotten me here? Right? It's that constant consideration of knowing that it's God who is the one we're orchestrating all this, and it's God that we need to stay focused on throughout all of this. So we'll just wrap it up there for there today. Thanks, guys, for coming. Also, I mean, I'll pray, and then um, just some quick announcements as well. I forgot to say at the beginning. There's the curry night coming up on the 22nd of October. So everyone be planning, be ready for that. Also, the we're split north and south next week for house services. Um, so, or not house services, park services, I guess, because um, the Oprahs are off to Adelaide for the weekend. So hopefully we'll have fun. See how we go. <laughs> Should be good. Um, but yeah, that's it for today. I'll uh, end us with, some, with a prayer, and then we'll do one final song. Dear Lord, thank you for this time together. Thank you that, yeah, we have an opportunity to crack open your word and, uh, yeah, investigate you and, uh, I guess, yeah, pull some great examples from the Bible, Lord. So just grateful for Joseph and the example he has set, Lord, that wherever he goes, he is a man who um, desperately clings to you and wants to bring your word and your salvation to those around him. And I just pray that we can model his example and consider it each day and that we remember that, you are, the, you are the one in control. You're the one who's always watching. And I pray as we go throughout our week that we remember that and you stay, I guess, within, the, within our focus of our minds, Lord, that you are the one um, in control and that we submit humbly to you, Lord. I thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.